Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, I talked to a beloved weather guru. That's coming up. First, I want to tell you about American Pride Roasters Coffee and this month's featured blend, the George Washington Carver. I love peanut butter. It's, it's got to be my favorite flavor, quite, quite frankly. I love this blend from the APR Coffee team. It is so good, the George Washington Carver. Now, perhaps you didn't know this, but George Washington Carver rose to fame during his tenure at the Tuskegee Institute. He became a national advocate for American peanut farming. He was a syndicated columnist, and he was recognized as one of the 20th century's most brilliant minds. Carver never wavered from a belief that hard work, sacrifice, and a faith in Jesus Christ would destroy racism and societal degeneration. He lived a remarkable life from the beginning to the end and his contribution to our nation is invaluable. In honor of George Washington Carver's life and legacy, APR Coffee added peanut butter flavoring to full city roasted South American beans. It created a subtle yet tasty blend and I am its biggest fan. I cannot get enough of the Carver blend and I hope you'll try it. Head over to APRCoffee.com and when you buy at least two pounds of coffee, they're gonna throw in a free bag of the Reagan blend when you type in offer code ATM in the special instructions section at checkout. That's the Carver Blend. It's waiting for you to try it over at aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Joe Bastardi is my guest on this week's edition of At The Mic. Joe is one very colorful guy with connections to Texas as well as the Northeast. His background is in wrestling, but also in weather. And as one of the most authoritative voices in the world of meteorology, he's the guy to listen to if you want to know what to expect and when to expect it. Recently, he visited Dallas, and we got a chance to sit down and have a conversation for At The Mic. Join in studio today with Joe Bastardi, who is seriously... The most accurate weather forecaster that is out there. Weatherbell.com is where you can find his awesome work. When something big is on the horizon, you are regularly the very first person to warn us about it, such as the recent snow and cold that we had here in Texas. So thanks for making time and coming down here to Texas to talk to me, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be down here. I'm actually down watching the Olympic trials and wrestling in <laughs> Fort Worth. When I'm in Texas, I try to get, get by the blaze. Uh, so, I mean, it's such a wonderful place, and I can't yeah. believe what you've, uh, you guys have constructed over here. Uh, <laughs> last time I was here, I had my, um, my son was with me, yeah. and uh, he's just, he's just absolutely was blown away by what he, what he saw over here. So, uh, yeah, Glenn, you know, Glenn goes big. You know, yeah, Glenn well, Beck he does go big. big. I mean, look at look at, look at <laughs> Jeffy. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, a Jeffy joke no, no, in the no, first two minutes. I no, love it. You know, I thought I I thought I was going to see Santa Claus. Jeffy's actually, you know, I, I, in fact, that Keith. The first thing I said to you is, "You want to know something? If I could train you, oh, I gosh. mean, Keith's in good shape. He's got." He goes. <laughs> Yeah, I said, I'm glad we're not on camera because I have crooked teeth. But look, crooked teeth, balding head, broken nose, big ears. You can make it in America today, kids. Uh But I says, I'll tell you what. You could be jacked. Not that you're not jacked now, because you might be offended that I'm saying. <laughs> oh, you, stop! Because I've been shrinking so much that uh. basically I can't. Uh, I can't <laughs> do. It. But uh, but in any case, I said, yeah, it's, it's 
Jeff, Jeffy has some uh, potential over here. Oh, does he still? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, Glenn has wide cheekbones, too, but he confuses me because I see his pictures and I'm going like, are those wide cheekbones or is he just bulked up a little bit too much? Or you know, like... <laughs> Okay. Well, you are definitely health conscious and we're going to get into that. Yeah. Uh, you were born in Providence, Rhode Island, correct? Yes. Okay. But your childhood took you to Texas, ironically oh, enough. Oh, yeah. What was your childhood like? Tell us. I mean, because it seems I'm, like night and day, Rhode Island, Texas. Well, it wasn't that. It was culture shock. My dad was, I believe, well, first of all, he was the oldest freshman on the Texas A&M campus in 1961 at 35. And he, our whole family went down there. And everybody thought, you know, in my family, uh, they were nuts, my mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. okay, let me get this straight. <laughs> you had a family of four. And you were 31 years old in 1961. You packed them all in the car and you went to Texas A&M. I believe he was the only Rhode Island. I know he was the only Rhode Islander on campus. And he was, like I said, the oldest freshman on campus. But he wanted that degree in meteorology. And um, Mm. interestingly enough, uh, he got it through the VA. Uh, uh, He had uh, broken his toe when he was in the Army, and they didn't fix it right or something. And I remember his one toe was always pointed off to the right. Oh. I used to kid him as a dad. If that was pointed left, I'd be upset about it. But no, <laughs> but um, the guy, he was getting one of the uh, VA examinations, and the guy says, you know, you're eligible for student benefits. And uh, my dad said, you know, I don't want to work midnight to eight at United Wire. Not that there was anything wrong with mm-hmm. that. And, uh, you know, he packed us all in the car. I could still remember every, uh, just, you know, it was like an Italian funeral. People screaming and, yo, go. Like, oh, when we were leaving, you learn about love and loyalty, rooting for the Texas Aggies in the early <laughs> 1960s. So, uh, you know, I, I, I always tell people that those were the, probably the most formative four years of my life, along with, uh, you know, uh, the connection I maintained to our family in Rhode Island. Uh, but, you know, it was just it was something magical about A&M. There still is. I always try to make time to uh, walk on the campus over there because of what it actually represents or, you know, it represented back then, you know. I mean, these guys would just had no quit in them, you know, and right. I took that lesson. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest lessons – ever learned was uh, Thanksgiving Day 1963. President Kennedy had just been assassinated. They didn't have the bonfire. And, uh, of course, the weather played a big role in that, that uh, if uh, it had been raining in Dallas that day, they would have never had the top of the motorcade down. And uh, it was supposed to rain all day. The front came through so quickly, right? There, there are actually several instances I write about in some other places where I think the weather changed history. Wow, yeah. But um, so uh, the, uh, President Kennedy was assassinated that year, there was no bonfire, and they dedicated, the Aggies, of course, dedicated the football game to uh, President Kennedy, and Texas uh, was set up to play Navy in the, uh, for the national title. They had Roger Storback, Texas had Duke Carlisle, and uh, Texas was ranked number one, and the Aggies were 35-point underdogs at Kyle Field, wow. and it was pouring rain. At uh, Thanksgiving Day, very cold. By the way, that storm came up the East Coast and dumped a lot of snow. Later, I, I looked at what the maps. Were. <laughs> I love weather history. I absolutely love it. I love well, how it impacts very, history, and I just love memorable it, it, moments. It, it, Keith, it's very important history. You know, as my dad taught me, the foundation you stand on today was built yesterday to reach for tomorrow. But anyway, what happened was the game's going on, and the Aggies are winning, and my dad is just just. 
Just see what happens when you believe in yourself, just constantly putting a lesson in, into it, you know, what was going sure. on. And A&M got royally ripped off at the end of the game. Texas had a third and fourth, the Aggie 12, I think. And I'll never forget, I think it was Jim Willenberg picked it off in the end zone. Now, I knew who Jim Willenberg was because we lived in Hensel Apartments where the uh, some of the married students lived. And uh, Willenberg was a defensive back, and he was married at the time. He was also a pre, um, pre-vet major, if I remember correctly, and he would drill holes in the back of my turtles. I used to have these turtles, these box turtles, and oh. you could put a hole in the very back of their shell, put a string on it, you could just leave them outside tied to a tree, and they'd you know, roam around, you'd never lose your turtle. <laughs> so, listen, this was back in the 60s, folks. Uh, Peter, don't come after me. I don't... I <laughs> you don't, didn't drill the holes, he I did. I know, but, you know, these were, these were sure. vet made. A&M right. was a big vet school. So, um, anyway, um, he... Uh, he picked the ball off, and he was clearly in bounds. They ruled him out of bounds. Texas went, got the first down, went in, mm. and they wound up winning 15-13, to 13, Man. right? And it would have been one of the greatest upsets, but it would have ruined the Cotton Bowl and one versus two and the, right. all that was going on. But may, make a long story short, the lesson learned was you fight. You, st- you, you yeah. fight for what you believe in no matter what. You know, like I tell you, this is the greatest – Greatest. Even even if you end up losing because the system is rigged. Well, <laughs> hey, listen, that's the uh, lesson. That's uh, a takeaway. Yeah, I got. Well, you know, it's like <laughs> I remember someone telling me oh, that game was like uh, you know uh, William Travis at the Alamo. You oh, know, yeah. and that, that, I mean, that, you know, that just, mm-hmm. that letter blows me away. And, you know, I, I realize I'm all over the place, but I'm like Bob Dylan. Whatever comes in my head comes out my mouth or <laughs> I something. Love, you I know. Love it. But in any case, uh, the Texas years were huge. Yeah. Plus, the first snowstorm this year. In January, I used the January 64 snowstorm in central Texas to set that up. The one went just south of you. You guys had about a half inch of snow here, mm-hmm. but Waco had six and College Station had five. And the uh, Texas uh, snow, January 16, 1964, right? My dad made me a hero. Uh-huh. Hey, I, that's the other thing I was fascinated with. Uh, like I told my wife one time, I said, God, Mike, you know, I'm wrong in front of my kids quite a bit on snowstorms. My dad was never wrong. And Jess goes, uh, never wrong? And I said, well, you know, he only had like 12 samples. You know, Atlantic City, when we moved there, didn't snow that much in Texas. Right. Did, but he hit all of them, and he'd tell me about them days before. Because uh-huh. I, I think that runs in our family that we have the right. long but, range. But, but let's touch on something there that you just kind of blew right past. Your dad made you a hero January 16th, 1964, explain why you were made a hero. Because he told me three days before it was going to snow. I'm a third grader. (laughs) It's going to snow. And these kids are like, what? (laughs) Going to school, I'll never forget. It was raining and cold when we got into school. These big monster flakes started coming down. And it was snowing real hard. Mm -hmm. We got out of school. And I'll never forget, they had a huge snowball fight on the A&M campus. (laughs) The the cadets, and they were lined up in arms. And so we went to the top of the... uh, the old weather station over there. Now, the, the weather station now is way up there, but it was the oceanography building. It's like, it's like it was at Penn State. Penn State has earth minerals, used to have earth mineral science meteorology. They had the same thing at A&M. And the MSC is over here, and here's this big open area in front. And so they're, <laughs> they're out there flanking maneuvers mm-hmm. and all this other stuff is going on. It was really fascinating to watch it. Because you you get you get twenty year old cadets in nineteen sixty four in a snowball fight, 
there's going to be some interesting yeah, things Yeah, and, and, and snow is a very big deal in the South whenever it's even... Well, it's a, a big deal in the North. Well, sure, but whenever it's just even the, the most remote of possibilities in the South, it's it's an event in of itself, just yeah, getting well, ready for it and anticipating it, but you telling everybody in third grade that it was going to snow and it yeah. actually happening really paid off. So it's fair to say, though, that weather is in your veins... Uh, uh, it does. Pun it's intended. genetic. My, my, <laughs> my son is uh, absolutely obsessed with it. How great. How great. So you came to Texas, but then you ended up going back to the Northeast. You went to college at Penn State where yeah. you were a big-time wrestler. Tell us about well, your time there. I don't know there. about being a big-time wrestler. Mm-hmm. I tell people I was the <laughs> best Penn State wrestler ever to grow up east of the Garden State Parkway and south of the Atlantic City Expressway. <laughs> you know, think of the uh, really this Penn- small little area uh, right there. That's right, 32 <laughs> square miles. Uh, I think uh, I used to be. I used to have much more dominance on the Jersey Shore until Frankie Molinaro came along and won 125 matches in a national title. He was from Barnegat, so mm. I had to cut down the cut down the limit of where I was the best Penn State wrestler in Jersey from. No, the big thing about uh, wrestling at uh, Penn State for me was there were three times that God intervened in my life uh, with the sport of wrestling that I think have uh, brought me closer to the good Lord above. That was the first time. Because I'll tell you what, there were no atheists in foxholes. I never wrestled varsity in high school. I got talked into going on out (laughs) for the team by the team captain who was a legend in New Jersey. And uh, probably the best, uh, may have been one of the best Penn State wrestlers I've ever seen not to win a national title. A guy pinned to national titleist, but he just, you know, you get into the national title tournament, it, mm-hmm. it can get to be a war, and sometimes it's last man standing. But in any case, uh, uh, you know, Bill Cole, who was one of the first men on the beach in Normandy, was my coach. Wow. And it's kind of weird today, Keith, because I'll talk to the guys about what Coach Cole said, and they're looking, I don't remember him saying that. But, you know, just think if you were a kid at a baseball camp with Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. Sure. Uh, not a big-time hot shot, but, a, a, you know, just a kid. You'd pay attention to everything. So here I am. I'm in a wrestling room with Bill Cole, who was who was a three-time unbeaten national champ, one of the first men on the beach in Normandy. And I'm hanging on every word he said. Right. And so I remember what, the stuff he would, he would say in practice. I got beat up. I'm, I'm going to tell you how bad it was. All right. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I was a Jersey wrestler. I wasn't that bad. I exaggerate how bad I was, but I never made varsity in high school. Now, in our team was pretty darn good my senior year. We had five seniors stacked into three weight classes. We had this rule. If a guy won, you can't challenge him. And our, the guy that uh, I'd beaten out in practice for, for the position at, at my high school he was re- and he was really good. He was a great leg rider. I found out how good he was riding legs when I got into college. I said, "Holy cow, this guy in high school was just as good as any of these guys over here, right?" Anyway, so what happened was, oh my goodness, I weighed about two hundred and five, and Vallejo, my buddy Jerry Vallejo, he just like had convinced me, "I don't worry, you, you, I'll teach you a few more things and you'll be fine, right?" I just got the living daylights beat out of me. I had all that weightlifting muscle. And I was getting torn down. I looked like the checkerboard square crow, if any of you remember who that was. Had so many black and blue marks on me. Oh. All right, People thought I was getting touched with a 10-foot pole. And it was because I had all this muscle that wasn't essential for wrestling on me. Right? And so it was all breaking down. And I remember my uh, mid-season physical uh, my first year. And, uh, you know, back in those days, the doctors weren't at all kind to, you know, if... 
if they thought you shouldn't be on the team, they'd make it known somehow or the other. Wow. Your trainer would have. So, I mean, it was just brutal. Uh, no, nah, it wasn't brutal. It's actually honest, you know. <laughs> Brutally but, you know, honest. There's a, there, yeah, it's true. But what is it? Uh, uh, love without compassion is brutality. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. So they had no compassion. But what happened was this. Doctor says, well, your, creatinine, your liver and kidney levels are high. And I says, oh. And he says, um, yeah, you're, you're breaking down. Your muscle's breaking down. And you're not recovering and to be blunt about it, he says, uh, you're probably not a good enough athlete to compete at this level. Mm. That's what he told me. And, you know, I always learned from my dad uh, to, you know, you got to fight back. Right. Right. I didn't go and start yell at him. I said, oh, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. Right. So by that time, I was so I was so much into prayer because I was in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I mean, have to, you know, if you've ever been with the, these, uh, a lot of evangelical uh, Pennsylvania farm boys, their prayers aren't quick Catholic prayers, all right? <laughs> you know, quick our father and you're out of there, right? <laughs> their, their prayer sessions at the end of the FCA meetings, there'd be 10-minute prayers oh laying of hands on me, you know, yeah. pray for me to get straight. Oh, it, it, it was a wonderful thing, but the mm -hmm. Penn State wrestling, I broke the lineup. My senior year, actually heavyweight, but I wrestled one match at 167, and I won. Okay. And I don't know why I got stuck in the lineup for that particular match. It was a double duel, and we knew we were going to kill the other team. So I got stuck <laughs> in at 67, and the guy beat the living daylights out of oh, me. Oh, no. No, he was. And what happened was I couldn't get off bottom, and all I can remember is, oh, Coach Cole was absolutely out of his mind in practice. If you can't get off bottom, if a guy could ride you, he said, you want to get off bottom? He says, imagine someone is sitting in the front row of the, of the bleachers, and this is how Coach used to talk, and he's got a knife to your mother's throat, and you have 10 seconds to get that knife away from him. Wow. You'll get off bottom, I right? Bet. He put that desperation in you, and he was a man who charged the beach in Normandy. Yeah. One of the guys, right? So anyway, this whole wrestling thing became a, extremely important to me. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I see the parallels in the I tell the guys on the wrestling team all the time and the guys at Nittany Lion Wrestling Club, I said, you can't believe how close physical training is to uh, weather and how there are parallels to that. And they look at me like, oh, OK, yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, oh, crazy Italian guy. Go over there in the corner, you know. But, yeah, what the heck? OK, so. Like you, what this energy drink does for me, by the way. I, I see that. I see <laughs> that. No yeah. caffeine in this. OK. All right. Very good. Okay, so tell us briefly about weatherbell.com and what you do over there. Well, I'm the chief uh, meteorologist here, along with Joe DeLeo. We're, um, basically, he's Moses of the weather. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's a little bit older than me. Uh -huh. and, so, and then there's Tom Downs, who's the other forecaster. I call him the boy wonder, because anybody who's younger than me is a boy wonder okay. to me. And he's just, he brings all the, the new stuff in. He also edits everything I do for clients, because uh, Lord knows... Even in this book, people, my dad, they go, boy, this is surprisingly well-written. I go, yeah, because I have a great editor, <laughs> right? <laughs> Our mission is, has nothing to do with climate change. And then people say, oh, you have a climate change and all this. I've used the climate all my life to set up the weather because if I know what happened yesterday and I see it, I go, oh, ha, right? I, can, I, can, I have extra input to it. So the, the climate part, the guys that, uh, you know, some of our guys – uh, believe the other side. We don't get into fights about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, we'd start arguing about the Phillies and the uh, the Mets or something <laughs> like that. It's, but um, but what we do is we supply forecasts for everyone. 
We have one of the biggest construction companies in Texas. What I'd love to do, I'm 65. I don't have any more ladders to climb, uh, you know, and so it's, I'm not, I'd like to consult with government agencies because I think that they're, they're, they're sort of limited by the very fact that they're government in some cases. And sometimes an outside eye is very, very good. I mean, I'd like to do that for the state of Texas. Preparation is huge, all right? If you have a 10% jump on the other guy, let's say, let's say I say to you, like last year with the hurricane season we had, we not only forecast the numbers, Keith, we forecast where they're going to go. Mm -hmm. So our clients knew right off the bat in April, and I put it on Twitter a thousand times, all right? And I realize what happens is if you look at things the way I do, AGW-wise, you get somehow pushed aside. That's the way things are. When NOAA issued their map, folks, at the end of the year, it looked like our forecast for where these things were going to go from the beginning of the year. But imagine if you're a weather belt client and you knew that and you say, okay, this part of the coast is going to get hit. How are we going to react? What do we think the shutdowns of the oil rigs are going to be? How will that impact energy? By the way, you know, when I look at the energy situation today from an economic point of view, Joe Biden's the greatest thing that could happen to meteorologists. Because mm. if you drive the price of energy up, energy becomes more relevant. And then the forecasters that can beat the models will be able to stand out. So that's the other thing where people accuse me of uh, doing this and doing that. I go, no, I'm completely objective about it. I, if you came to me, Keith, and said, Joe, uh, I believe that snapping your fingers and eating Cheetos will save energy. Great. You need a forecast for it. That's all I care about. <laughs> that's what God made me to do. Okay. So that's what we do. Retail companies, salt clients, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I have salt clients that could have, if four or five days later, four or five days before, if the federal government had gotten involved in the Texas situation, like they do with hurricanes, like Trump, Trump did a great job at prepping. He'd have, you know, if he saw a hurricane was coming, uh, he would try to get things in before. Of course, no one knows about that. But if you did that with this, if you had the state of Texas ready with even 50% more snow fighting equipment, you would have had roads being able to be opened for commerce, for instance, for oil tankers. Sure. To, I mean, it's just the multiples. Right. Uh, yeah, weather endless. weather is connected to everything, no it question. Is. Which, Which, by the way, I know that you're a book author as well. You have a new book out now. How many books total have you written at this point? Uh, I've written two, and okay. these are the only... The, the one was the Climate Chronicles, all right? This was, this was because I felt I left some things out of the Chronicles that had to be said, uh, especially the spiritual aspect of what I believe is going uh-huh. on. Also, also, I think I have a great solution that will get rid of the, if you have fear CO2, I, I have a very economic way of getting rid of it. Okay, right? and that's it, in the book. That's in the book. Okay. There's also acknowledge, now listen, where have you ever seen a guy on the other side of the issue acknowledge someone on my side? Mm. It's always isolation, demonization, destruction, is classic Alinsky tactics. I hate to do, folks, it is. That's all that's to it, right? <laughs> Me, yeah. I'm like, wow, this guy has written some great stuff. I may not agree with this aspect of what he says, but look at all this other information he's given me. And he doesn't read my stuff, but I read all of his stuff. You don't get stronger by doing the same thing every day. You don't get smarter by just reciting what you know. You have to be the dumbest man in the room, the weakest man in the room. Then you become desperate if you're, if you're seeking the correct answer to go after the truth. That is what this is all about. Truth is good. Good is God. 
go after the truth. And where it takes you, it takes you, right? Yep. So what happens is I use what they put out to make me better at forecasting, which benefits my company, but I also acknowledge them. It's not like, it, it, in the acknowledgement it says, to the many great scientists on the other side of the issue, mm-hmm. you'll never know how much you benefit me, because you won't talk to me, yeah. right? But that's the way it is. You know, you gave me a great idea. Uh, really? And, yeah, for oh, you. It's an idea for you. You had mentioned how weather has changed historic events or the course of history in so many, and I can think of a handful right off the bat just sitting here, you need to write a book, so you can, you can write this down. You need to write a book about how weather changed history. Well, I've actually done that in many blogs I've written. Well, then you and, can see that you've already written it then, see? I'm writing another book okay. now called For the Love of the Weather. Uh-huh. And this is going to be a fun book, and I've got a, 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 one of the co-authors is going to be Bill Evans, who has spent many years WABC-TV and um, was one of the Good Morning America Weatherman, and also there's someone I know, there's a father-son team I know, and they're uh, very uh, prominent, and they love, absolutely love the weather. In fact, I tell them all the time, it's just too bad that uh, you've had so much success in what you're doing over here, uh, because you could have been a great weather forecaster. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't be making $50 million a year or whatever right, that is right. you make, I don't know. But, right, but, but. I'll tell you, I almost minored in meteorology. I'm glad I didn't. I, I talked with Janice Dean on this podcast yeah. back in March. And wow, she have guts or what? Oh, yeah, she's, she's a hero. She's brave. But when she informed me how much math was involved uh, with, with forecasting the weather, yeah, I'm out. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a difference <laughs> between the lust for weather and the love of meteorology. And quite frankly, uh, what you... What you can, uh, you love or you think you love could get you in a lot of trouble. I love the weather so much that I spent too much time looking at the weather. Math got me in trouble. Uh-huh. I mean, I got behind, uh-huh. believe me. Oh, I would be behind on day one of classes. But let me ask you this. When you were at Penn State going to school there, this was in the 70s, I want you to describe what it was like running a weather station in the 70s and what it's like running a weather station Why well, don't today. go up there now, so I don't know. Well, I don't mean that specific weather station, but I want to know what is it all automated now? Is there uh, somebody no, in a no, shack? There's like somebody in charge. No, is they, it okay? Yeah, and the kids are still the kids are still hanging Great. up up there. Great. But I, so I what think, was a typical day like? Tell me about running a weather station. Well, first of all, I worked in the weather station. My typical day, because I was I was uh, told you about the math problem. I was uh, I was I had my back against the wall. Mm-hmm. This was my dream, and they told me, "Hey, listen, either you get by this term." And, and, you know, get by these classes or you're out of here, right? I mean, I'm this kid from Summers Point, New Jersey. And uh, so what happened, I, when I went out for wrestling, everything refocused. At, listen, uh, you know, adversarial relationships focus you, okay? Mm. All right, so uh, what happened was wrestling, God came first, wrestling and, and, and schoolwork, okay? Actually, schoolwork was second. But they all, I, I was like a machine, I was up at, I had what, I actually had four or five radio stations. I, I did 5.30 in the morning, did their forecast. Made 25 bucks a week. That was a lot of money back wow. then, right? yeah. Okay, I got up, worked out. I used to work out three times a day, 40 minutes a pop. I do, I get my lifting and stuff done. And how old are you now? Uh, how old am I now? Yeah. 65. And, right. and you're still lifting every day? 
Well, yeah, I, mean, I just competed two weeks ago. I love this guy. I mean, yeah. he well, I is competed so twelve f- times since August. COVID has focused me. You on- are you are so full of energy. It comes out when you speak. But I mean, you like you just said, you work out every day. You're competing in well, yeah, bodybuilding I, I, competitions. Well, uh, part of it is my uh, my focus is completely different now. It's uh, it's like. Uh, uh, kids come up to me, you know, I'm not real big. I used to be 175, 180 pounds. I've never done steroids, but that's small compared to the guys I go against. Even some guys show up today over 60, unbelievable. I have to cut them to death. By that, I mean, you get so shredded up. Sure. Judges have to deal with it, right? And so what happens is I realized uh, I didn't have enough gratitude for what I had before. I thought it was all me. Oh, I did this, I did that, I did this. And you know what? That's all That's all such nonsense. I mean, it's all vanity, right? Ego. Ego means edge got out. So in any case, now I just focus on God when I'm training. God is my training. Kids come up and go, hey, uh, Joe, how'd you get like this? I go, oh, it's my training partner. It's God. And they're like, what? Like they don't, <laughs> but what happens is God is my trainer. Well, no, no, here's what happens is when you have gratitude like right. that toward the good Lord above, all right, you're looking at your, uh, the drudgery and that kind of thing as a way to get closer. So all I want to do is max out with what I was made to do with what I have left, whatever that is. Okay. And so talking to, talking to a kid about, about God, you know, he comes up to me and says something. I, I love, I love that stuff. And it has not, I've listen. I've competed 103 times. All right. I, I have my trophies and all that stuff. They're in the basement. No one ever sees them. And guess what? After I'm gone, no one cares. Right. What you, oh, look, I won this show and this and all this, you know, and, and this is ridiculous. So what happens is that is meant to focus me. Now that's what happened when I had my back against the wall, a long-term vision, short-term desperation. When you're desperate, one of two things can happen. You can focus or you can flee, mm-hmm. all right? So, uh, you know, I, I went out for wrestling, went all in. I just became a machine. Uh-huh. By that, uh, you know, it's up at a certain time, training at a certain time, classes at a certain time, trained again at noon, okay? 45 minutes. Then c- practice was at... Uh, Practice was at four o'clock, and they were relatively short. They were combat practices, though. There's no monkeying around in there. Coach would spend 15 minutes on um, uh, teaching stuff, and so he used to say, "If you want to get good at something, I taught it to you. You got to go work at it." But then it turned into all combat, and you know they they tried to get rid of me. I mean, I could tell they didn't. You know, you just meet on a hoof when you're in the Penn State wrestling room at mm-hmm. that time. They used to have these uh, these um, uh, shark bait where you had to get a takedown if you wanted to take a one-minute rest, and they oh put my. two real, two real good guys on you, and you couldn't take them down. You're just in there; you almost fall over. It's like you're getting dragged dragged out of the Roman Colosseum. Mm-hmm. So that was my typical day, and I just focused for three years. And as far as the weather station goes, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because some of the guys now are on the other side of the global warming issue, and they yeah. used to follow me around the weather station. I was a senior. The athletes were, you know, despite them trying to mix the athletes into the population, <laughs> you know, the, some of the football players, my teammates, they go, hey, can we come up to the weather station? We want to see what goes on. They were fascinated with the nerd aspect. <laughs> so tell me, like, did you have to manually go outside every oh, hour on the oh, hour? Oh, no, 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 no. I would take OBS in the morning. In fact, I put it on Twitter, the OB cards. 
some of the ob cards have my uh, in the seven o'clock in the morning have JB on there, right? Because uh-huh. I took uh, I took the uh, I would take the observations two days away, usually on weekends, uh-huh. right? Was when I I did that, and That's of course fun. if we were wrestling or traveling, someone else would do it. I had the radio stations. Yeah, well, it's in the genes. Sounds like a lot of fun. Okay. And when you were at college, that's uh, where you met your wife? No. 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 No, I had a girlfriend in college, and, um, and when we broke up, and then I had a practice wife for seven years. Uh, <laughs> ah, and okay. then I met, listen, I met so my wife. So you wa- did not meet her at Penn State? Your yes, wife was, I did. Okay, well, I'm she so was a hot right shot. Now. She was a captain of the gymnastics <laughs> team. And I was training some of the guys in the wrestling team. And one of the guys I was training was like, I couldn't figure it out. He was like, <laughs> he was like you know, uh, he was an Italian kid. And uh, we're still very close friends. And he wanted me as his wingman all the time. So I was, <laughs> I was actually in a rock band and all that stuff. And it was, that's, that's wild, folks. If you want to see what funny is, you're up there singing. And that's funny for me singing. But... You're sober, and by midnight, it's hysterical watching from the stage what's going on in the crowd, okay, mm. if you have a crowd. But anyway, he wanted me to go out with him one night. I said, okay, I'll go out. And we went to this place I absolutely hated because I'm an old rocker, right? And uh, there she was, mm-hmm. and uh, he was talking to her, and she just she started talking to me. And I knew who she was. And she, she didn't know who I was, even though I was on the radio and TV around State College. She, you know, she's a college, college girl. Uh, I said, well, you know, you got an interesting name. Strunk. I said, uh, my senior in high school, number one kid in the state was David Strunk, and he was at 106 pounds. She goes, that's my brother, mm-hmm. right? And, that's, and all her brothers wrestled, and she, she knows how to wrestle. She wrestled, all right? She actually was 1-0 in wrestling. Well, she was a great gymnast, but I always hug her. I always had kept my arms in because she knows, even though she's 5'9", she knows how to hit a duck under. She's never ducked me. Uh, right? uh, uh, I've seen her duck some national champions, though, that didn't suspect that she knew a duck under. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> so that's why I met her. That's how, and So okay. she's 11 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And you have two kids. Yeah, Garrett and Jesse. All right. How are they doing? Uh, Garrett's doing outstanding. Uh, he's pursuing golf, political science, and meteorology. Wow. You know? Definitely uh, in your genes. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I, he's, he's extremely hard to argue with because <laughs> he knows his stuff. Right, right, right. Jesse is a gymnast at Penn State. She took this year off. How cool is that? So your son is into meteorology like you. Yeah. And your daughter is into gymnastics. Jesse's like- a, they're, they're both spiritual. Jesse's extremely spiritual. Uh, she's got... She was talking to us in the car yesterday. She drove down with us, and uh, it was better than any sermon I've heard in a while. I've heard some great sermons, uh, her attitude on things. Mm. And, um, you know, Jess is, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people, I'm, you know, I'm twice the man I would have been without her because she understands competition. And she's, she, was a, she was really good in bodybuilding. Um, after she, she quit gymnastics, she was coaching the Penn State team, assistant coach there. And um, she wanted to do something. So I said, why don't you buy a bill? And she goes, well, I said, I told her, I said, you keep just, you keep riding that bike for 45 minutes. Guess what? You're, you're slowing your metabolism. Now you got to lift weights. I'll tell you what, she, and she, they're both really strong. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That, that German side of the family, plus my dad is a Sicilian. <laughs> Holy smoke. Those That's are, great. They got the, they got Jesse. I couldn't believe it. Jesse, I taught Jesse a couple wrestling moves. 
And she started hitting me with these moves. I couldn't believe how strong she was. I was like, holy cow. Wow. So anyway, uh, that's why I met her. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we're a little bit different in some things. But what made me really fall in love with Jess, besides the fact that she's a 5'9 redheaded gymnast and was a big star <laughs> and all beautiful, was uh, I saw the way she loved her dad. Mm. And I, I just, and her family. And I go, okay. All right. So you mentioned um, God's role in you and your family's life. Yes. And you are very spiritual. And I fall short in a lot of things. So well, don't go. we all? Don't we all? Yeah. But you also are big into Christian music, and you actually enjoy Kanye West's New Direction. Uh, I pose to Kanye West. Huh. I pose to God is. I'll tell you what was funny, though. One of the shows I was at, they mixed up the music and they didn't have God is, or they didn't have my music. So they go, and I didn't know, right? So they, they put on God is a woman, and my, my daughter's sitting in the crowd. And this is going, while you're doing the Yeah, and I was like, oh, whatever, and okay. Posing. The, you think yeah, pose yeah, music. And, you know, I, that's sort of, you know, a little bit different from what, but yeah, everything that I have, praise the Lord. I'll tell you, Jesse introduced me to Kanye, uh -huh. and I could not, I was blown away by the album. And I gotta be the only over sixty white guy that's ever posed to Kanye West. Sure. So I got that going for me, right? But <laughs> there boy, are some I'd good I'd tracks to, on I'd that. I'd love for sure. to meet that guy. Mm -hmm. I would love to meet. And uh, you know, the whole um, there's a line in uh, "Use This Gospel" says uh, they all say they will till it's time to embrace it. And I go, oh my gosh. You know, that's the big, that's the big line that, you know, test where your faith is and where your ego ta takes over is when you see how far you will actually go to make your stand on what you believe. You know, the kids I used to train used to, I used to say to them, who are you and what do you really believe? Right. And, uh, you know, when I, when I think of, uh, you know, you brought up Kanye, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that album really challenges me. Hmm. to that thing and i just i just love it you know so you would love to meet kanye west you've met many celebrities in your life you say the funniest one is billy joel oh so, man. yeah he doesn't re he can't remember this uh-huh he but my buddy dan fouts who i wrestle with not dan fouts a football quarterback <laughs> danny well after danny got out of college he was a head roadie for uh, claire brothers so he's springsteen's roadie jay giles roadie billy joel's roadie Right down the pipe of Joe Bastardi-focused music, right? <laughs> you know, basically, I love regional balladeers, you know, Patty, John Mellencamp, Bob Seger, uh, you know, uh, uh, I call them regional balladeers because they came out of a certain area and wrote from that. You know, Patty from a Florida point of view, Mellencamp, Midwest, Bob Seger, the Great Lakes, and of course, you got Bruce, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I love what Bruce says, uh, Trust the art, not the artist. And people go, how can you listen to Springsteen? I go, well, look, look at what Paul says in the gospel. It says, uh, you know, you may mean it, it may be meant for one thing, but God means it for another thing. And you, you can hear a lot of spirituality. You take John Cougar Mellencamp's uh, uh, Minutes to Memories. Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, that's a, that could be like a, 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 he'd probably get mad if he heard this. That's like a conservative theme song, right, if you ever listen to that what he's saying, or Badlands by Springsteen, right? But Billy Joel, anyway, it's halftime at a Springsteen concert. Of, uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey, 1984. So Fauci comes up and he grabs me, he goes, come on, let's go backstage. I go backstage, there's Billy Joel. 
and and Fauci was uh, Billy's road, and Billy was just a tough guy. Yeah, he's a Golden Gloves champion boxing. He wasn't your normal rock and roller, right? So Billy's sitting there, and, uh, and uh, Chrissy Brinkley was there, and she was so nice. She was so unbelievably nice person. And um, so he goes, uh, you want to shoot a game of pool? I said, sure. And he wiped me off the table. <laughs> and his only comment was, uh, yeah, I, Billy, don't get mad. You don't remember it, but I do. Is you know, you're the only Italian I ever met that can't shoot pool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, cool. uh, there was more to that story after. I got to tell you, uh, my brother's <laughs> favorite guy was Billy Joel. Uh huh. And he went up to call his girlfriend. He go, how go we go for? She blew me off. She don't want to see me anymore. Oh, really? I shot a game of pool with Billy Joel, and he missed the <laughs> chance. Oh, he. Oh. Would, and then, so we had backstage passes after. He wanted he he. I said Billy Joel is already out of here. He's not hanging around backstage after a Bruce Springsteen concert. I said wait, we, but we were back there for like two hours at the backstage party because wow. he thought Billy Joel. Uh, I can still remember driving back home to Jersey Turnpike, and he's over here, and his fingers were clenched on the steering wheel. That he was so mad. That is something. Wow. Okay, so let's go back to your childhood. You're age three. Tell us about crashing through the greenhouse. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. I wanted to be Superman when I was a kid, too. Yeah. My mother, I, uh, moms, do not make your kid a Superman cape, all right? <laughs> because I, uh, she made me a Superman cape, and I almost dove out a second floor window, uh, you know, thinking I could fly. Um, but anyway, it was, I, it's kind of funny cause we have a cat now at home who I actually have grown to love. I'm always a dog person, <laughs> but I, we got two rabbits and a Guinea pig too. It's like, Oh, your house sounds like a zoo. Like my it house is a zoo. I mean, seriously, we have just as many animals as we do humans. And I said, we will never be outnumbered as much as my kids want to add pets to our cachet. I mean, it, uh, we're no, no, you know, the problem is, is my daughter gets the, I had Guinea pigs when I was a kid. I love Guinea pigs. But she's now living in town, and I'm the one wind up. I can't get rid of him. I can't. Oh, by that, I no. mean I'm a soft guy. But anyway, uh, I was chasing this cat on my grandfather's roof, uh, a greenhouse. And uh, I fell through, right through, right in front of him. Hey, not new. <laughs> oh, man. Just, was there glass everywhere? There's glass everywhere. I didn't get hurt. Oh, I can still remember, you know, <laughs> Everybody yelling, get down, get down. I was like, what? there's nothing going on here, you know. I was a fat little kid. No wonder I felt it. <laughs> oh, I was. That's fun. That's I mean, okay. who, 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 listen, moms, has, has a doctor, a pediatrician ever told you that you're, uh, at the age of two, you got to put your kid on a diet? That's what they told my mother, right? And I, I my poor father, because I mean, today, today you are absolutely physical fit. Yeah, because I was in fat jail for 13, 14 years. Okay. I don't want to go back. I have. I okay. mean, yeah, that's what I mean. You can use what was you Listen, your past could be quicksand or bedrock. You've got to make the choice. It's all about choices. If I wanted to sit there and go, oh, well, you know, I've done well. I'm just going to eat whatever I want to eat. Believe me, I can't take time off from training because when you get older, it just doesn't come back. You right. know, oh, you're overtraining. There's no such thing as overtraining. There's undersleeping and undereating, mm. but there's no overtraining. So. so, obviously, one of the things that you and I have in common is weather. And let me just tell you something that, that I really enjoy. I will have this memory. This is why the internet, this is one of the great things that the internet offers. I will have a memory where I know what the weather was that day and what, right? Okay, you, you, you can understand what I'm saying. So 
I go to the Weather Almanac online, and I, it almost challenges myself to say, let me just make sure that my memory is accurate of the day and the kind of weather and how much snow fell and all this stuff. I find that sometimes I'm off by a few days or I'm off by a year or, or, or there wasn't as much snow at the official weather station that I remember as a kid. Do you find that your weather memories are similar in that do you have stuff completely tattooed perfectly in your brain? And I'm getting to something. Or do you find that, oh my gosh, it wasn't 12 inches of snow that time. It was only four or what have you. And what I'm getting at is I want you to tell us about the first time you predicted a snowstorm, how young you were, how accurate it was. I mean, are you big on checking up on weather history like that? Oh, I, I live by it. That's why I'm so involved with the book. Because someone comes out and says something. I go, no, th this was my, I can tell you're either not looking. I'm not going to accuse you of lying, <laughs> all right? But you try to tell me this is the worst ever. I'll go pull out five examples off the top of my head that were worse. Right. And I can go right to them. And part of the reason is I, I went, my father said that the weather was worse in the 30s, 40s, and 50s than it is now. He's always said that, right? So it was, a, and I was like, okay, sure. You walked both ways uphill to school barefooted in the snow, even <laughs> in the summer or, you know, whatever. You go in, there's snow on the ground. You come out and it's 120 degrees. Everything was worse. But it, it was. So I go back. There's a, great, there's a great site, folks. And this shows you what a nerd I am. It goes back to 1871. We actually had surface maps all the way back to there. Has surface maps every single day. So I go and look at it. Oh, when, I saw, when I saw what the models were looking at for the Texas freeze, I said, oh, that's 1899. Right? And I even put it on for everybody to see five days in advance. Uh -huh. But, you know, let's say, uh, let's say you remember a foot of snow falling. Uh, and you say, well, the weather station only recorded four, right? Well, if the weather station was 15 miles away, sure. suppose the average was eight, and there's variance in the way snow is accumulated, also measured. Different people measure it different ways, okay? Sure. Uh, what I was shocked at in recent research I was doing, my first memory of snow was, I thought, was in the late 50s. And I went back and looked, and I go, I'll be, I'll be, and I knew it was Easter, I knew it was Easter because I remember we were driving to Lord Fox in Attleboro, Massachusetts for Easter dinner. And my dad said to me, we're, look, snow flurries. I remember him saying snow flurries. And it was snow, no, snow in the air, right? And every morning he'd come back from United Wire. He'd walk back. United Wire was right up the street from where we lived. And I'd be sitting in at the windowsill, my high chair, waiting for him. And I remember specifically sitting there with an Easter bunny right in my arm. And it was about half an inch, inch of snow on the ground. And seeing my dad coming up the street. And my Uncle Sam across the street was sweeping his walk off, right? And there I was looking out there. So I'm, I went back and he said, wasn't 1960? Well, I was in a high chair. So it had to be, you know, whatever, two or three or I don't know. It was 56. I was less than a year old. Wow. That's when it snow flurried Easter Sunday. Wow. And then there was snow Monday night after that around Providence. It was 2.3 inches of Blue mm -hmm. Hill. So probably Providence had a half inch or an inch of snow around wow. there. I couldn't believe it. That right is now. an early memory. And uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you have a good website. I go to almanac.com. 
Yeah. That's where I go. And, well, and I go in and actually look at the maps. Okay, that's okay? true. Because I can look, look <laughs> listen, when you're measuring snow, uh, right. look, people say, how much snow we got? I go, I don't know, go out in your backyard, stick a sticker. You know, it's whatever you got is what you got. So you hear that? You got it, okay? <laughs> Not forget about it. You got it. So uh, tell us, you are... A regular with Larry the Cable Guy is that is that right? Yeah, it, it is. I'm sort of. I think my uh, I'm sort of wearing thin on some of the other people. <laughs> no, I am because so, I like I like. Look, I'm on I'm on a comedy show and they like they like my wife. You're not funny. And well, this well, is Larry the Cable yeah, Guy. So I like. He I'm has a, a comedy show on Sirius XM. Yeah, yeah, and I like mixing it up with people, you know. And uh, you know, it's like Paul. And the Bible says. Well, you know, I become, I meet everybody halfway. I, the Jewish people, I, you know, I mean, that, it, we actually had that scripture, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pal around with you a little bit. Yeah, hot. Just do the weather. And a lot of times there's not much weather going on. So, yeah, but, uh, but uh, and uh, to, to their credit, they had me on the week of the freeze. So that. Which you uh, predicted a month out. Well, no, we predicted it was going to get very cold. What was different was I was seeing, oh, this is never going to come. There's no cold weather coming. Hold on a second. I love it. At that same time that you were saying how cold it's going to be, the government forecast was saying you're going to have an above average. It's going to be drier than usual in February, and it's going to be above average temperature. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of models that were pretty. Models can't handle when you, and this is what probably drives the climate people nuts because they want to do everything with models. They don't understand models can't handle the naturally occurring abnormalities in the atmosphere. And so they if something abnormal occurs, they say, well, this is going on. When, you, when you've seen as much as I've seen now, and, uh, you know, Will, William Gray, the late William Gray used to say that, you understand, and what Neil Frank says, is that you're really uh, sort of uh, hopeless and helpless in the face of nature. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, it, it comes down to humility uh, with that type of thing. So, you know, the object of the game, the models are getting better, all right? But the object is, if you could beat them 10% of the time, yeah. and you give your, if, if you take a tie every day, but win the 10 battles, you're undefeated, and your clients are undefeated, <laughs> okay? So when you're talking, when you're talking a, a hurricane, okay, let's say I say a hurricane's heading for Lake Charles instead of New Orleans. Well, the client will say, all right, where can we position our, crew so we can get back in a day quicker than everybody else who's waiting all right so those those are the big things that are involved bottom lines that are involved just like a wrestling match you got to either win or you got to lose right and that's what's great about wrestling is uh, well, until the refs get involved uh, that uh, <laughs> that you actually get an outcome you know right. this whole thing where well 50 years this is going to happen or that's going to happen no one remembers no one remembers what was being uh, 1988 oh the ice caps are going to be gone by whatever Right, an Arctic ice cap is actually above normal. Hmm. You know, there are two hemispheres to the globe, folks. Right, that's why they call them hemispheres, that's right. not solo spheres. I don't <laughs> even know if that unifier. Unifier. Okay, so you've written over twenty thousand blogs. Oh. you've written over ten million words in your career. Weatherbell.com is where people can find you. Are there other places that, if people want to keep up with Joe Bastardi? Um, you know, you've got a couple of books, and you got more that are that are brewing well, the, in your head. It, 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 dep- it depends on. Uh, I know you're on you're, Twitter. You're on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's a. Uh, I like having fun on Twitter too. Mm-hmm. And nobody, these people don't have a sense of humor. Right? <laughs> I know. I said, what's the What's the matter with you? <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what I like to do on Twitter sometimes is bait people. 
I hate to, I'm sorry. I like to get out in front of something and then make the, not only the prediction on the weather, but here is what they are going to say three days after it. And oh, that was a beautiful forecast on Texas. Start blaming fossil fuels, start blaming climate change. I'm going like, and you know the 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 shame the shame of the whole thing was the impeachment circus took away from the weather. Yeah, and yeah. I I'll tell you I'm still frustrated. I wanted to come down here and get in front of the Texas legislature and say, guys, I've read all your proposals. You're missing the boat on what is happening. You're not going to avoid natural problems in Texas, but like a boxer on the ropes. Just cover, if you cover up, if you know something's coming, instead of sitting there walking head first into the punch, right, Mm -hmm. which is what happens nowadays. So if the model doesn't have it, you can forget about some, even if a guy wants to take a stand against the models. You realize how hard that is to do uh, if you're wrong, right? So it's like, look, it's out of scripture, folks. The 12 spies, two of them saw, went in and said, these guys are ripe for the picking. The other 10 said, ha, we're like grasshoppers against them, right? So what happens is people just bow down to the models constantly, right? Mm. Yeah, it's because the models are pretty darn good. But when you can when you can take a stand, you can take a stand on that. Now, I don't even remember the question you asked. So I, I just want to uh, know where people can find you. On, oh, okay. On well, yeah. Uh, but so <laughs> what happens is the cli- climate show is over, uh, you know, on blogs, uh, CFAC, they do work with CFAC over there. Okay. Uh, because I feel, I feel I need to maintain a public presence as far as, I, I, I hook it up with our company. I said, you know, this climate issue is involved in forecasting the weather. So how is it this fringe meteorologist, as I've been labeled, all right, can see this stuff if he doesn't know climate? Right. If it, how does how do you explain that? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is people start to go. Oh, well, he's wrong about this. Wrong about that. Listen, when you fight every day, you're going to get a lot of battle scars. Right. And that right. leads to humility. All right. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, and also you know, Twitter. I got off Facebook. I, I, there's yeah. too much arguing. I don't know. I, I need you on Twitter where you are Big Joe Bastardi. Yeah, I should be shrinking Joe Bastardi. Okay, well, whatever. But I think that somewhere in your bio, you need to boldly proclaim, quote, fringe meteorologist. Well, I was going to put fringe. My new nickname is COVID 9.5. Uh, and the the reason why is there's two aspects of COVID. You see people, oh, you shouldn't kid around with it. Well, you lose your sense of smell, you lose your sense of taste. People said I've been tasteless since I was a kid. Hey-o. So I don't have that. <laughs> okay. And they always say when they're around me, boy, you smell. So okay. <laughs> All right. Very I good. thought that, you know what? Larry actually <laughs> thought that was funny, right? Like so some of the other ones did. That was not funny. <laughs> okay. Joe Bastardi, weatherbell.com. Are we done? Yeah, this yeah, is was I right? You're going to need combat pay. Combat pay for this? Yeah. No, I Come love on, talking you, about weather and stuff. You, you know the me? problem with me is okay. I get I get on a show and think it's my show. This, this, I apologize. Stop it! This show right now, this show that we're recording, yeah. is about you. That's why I invited you in here. To I talk know, but about then, you. Yeah, no, but I take over. Oh my goodness! You know, I remember, remember, I was on with O'Reilly one time. Asked me a question. It went four and a half minutes. I had to give him a chance to talk. And he got, he says, he actually goes, you know what? I had a stopwatch on you. Right? <laughs> I actually, listen, I'm going to tell you something. The biggest <laughs> news station in the country threw me off the air. 10-10 wins. All right? Because they were timing me 
the, the program director was timing me, and they want 45 seconds on the bat. At 37 seconds, you go, right now, 37 in LaGuardia, Central Park, blah, 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 <laughs> right? And I'd be, and I, listen, here's what I knew. Okay. I knew Wins had its audience, right? And you can't tell a program director this. You have your audience. They're captive no matter what. They're going to listen to the weather forecast and listen to the temperature. I'm going to get the person that wants to say, hear the, like Gordon Barnes used to do back in the old days. He's old me around. Uh, you know, it's warm through Friday, but there may be snow in like eight days, right? Because I knew that would, first of all, I believe that something happened. I want to turn much colder down the road. Wanted to lay the seeds for that, right? Get out in front of it. And I know people would listen for that stuff that weren't normally listening to the news station. So I get letters today, right? They said, we still love when you were on weekends because we always would get a long range forecast, Mm -hmm. right? They gave people, but they timed me and threw me off the air. And then when I started showing up on TV, they said, hey, we'd like to have him back. I said, no, no, you know, it's not that I was bitter. It was just like, I can't, I can't do stuff. I never rehearse anything. And I just, it, yeah, whatever. it's tough for you to stay in a box. Joe Bastardi, weatherbell.com. Thanks so much for making time. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank hey, you. Keith, you enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. <laughs> I love Joe. He is the Energizer Bunny personified. And he's such a genuinely great human being. It was so nice to really get to know him on this week's edition of At The Mic. Hey, don't forget, check out atthemikeshow.com. You can go over there if you want to donate to the cause, help us keep the conversations going. Uh, it would be so greatly appreciated. Any and all support, truly. Also, show archives and sponsorship information is available over there as well at atthemikeshow.com. Next week, I'm going to sit down with a podcaster who has lived an interesting life already. Andrew Heaton will share his life story It's covered a lot of ground. This guy has covered the ground uh, on a handful of continents. We will talk with him next week here on At The Mic. Until then, please go be free, and thank you so much for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.